This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. Vaginas are absolute magic, and Ollie is here to give them the respect they deserve. That means shame-free supplements made with clinically studied ingredients to keep your pH in check and your pleasure a priority. Put yourself on top. Go to Ollie.com today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome. Okay, so today I want to tell you the story of how I became the potty training lady, the, the Pied Piper of Poop, how oh crap came into existence, because I want to share the major things that piss people off about my book and the major things that I get a lot of heat for on the internet in all capital letters with a lot of exclamation points. I'll give you a spoiler alert. Those things are that I don't address neurodivergent, that I have a 1950s attitude when it comes to dads and them taking part. The fact that I'm pretty brutal about you need to get your butt in gear if your child's over three and uh, diversity. So all of these things, I can understand why people are pissed off, but you need to hear the history of, oh, crap in order to form a good opinion of me. (laughs) I try very hard to stay positive. I don't like to argue with people on the internet, and I certainly don't like to be defensive. But this book is in some way, shape, or form my baby. And I do really want the opportunity to explain some things. So let me start with the entire story, and then we can address those issues. All right. Number one, I have always thought this book should be a living document, okay? Because I am an active potty trainer. I have been doing this full-time for 13 years and I learn things all the time. So the idea that once a book is published, it is written in stone. So let me preface everything by saying I cannot change the book. So when people tell me I need to update it, that is not my decision. Simon & Schuster owns the book. To be honest, they can completely rewrite the book if they want. I do not own the book anymore. That is what happens in traditional publishing. A lot of people don't understand that. Occasionally, there's some talk of a 10-year anniversary. That'd be great if we do that. That would be wonderful. I can change a lot. The big deal here is that I cannot change the book. And so I do blog posts. I do YouTube videos. I do Instagram reels and lives and all kinds of things to keep updated. And so know that I have tons of resources that expand on things or people say, you forgot to write this. No, I didn't forget to write something. Either I didn't know it and I learned something later or there were decisions made in the moment when the book was printed. And again, that wasn't all my decision. And if I wrote a book that included all I know about potty training and the thousands of kids that I've worked with, nobody would pick it up. It would be humongous. It would 
be two feet (laughs) thick and nobody would want to touch it. All right. So let's go back to even before my son was born, I was a social worker in San Francisco and I worked with dual diagnosed moms, which means they have a substance abuse and a mental illness. I worked in a variety of residential facilities where we were trying to keep moms and their kids together and working with them on all their issues and their symptoms so that they could keep their children. One thing I noticed, I didn't have a child. I was not in the mommy culture. Nothing was a parenting hot button, but I was like, wow, these moms don't have a lot of money. And I'm seeing like some older kids in diapers. And these moms didn't have a lot of skills to say the least, right? So I was like, we need to teach these moms how to potty train their kids. You know, I've always been really great with kids. I was always a nanny. I was always the babysitter. I was a very sought after babysitter. I've always been super great with kids, but you know, potty training wasn't necessarily my skill. I just, I knew it. It shouldn't be happening at four. So I set about to become the potty training social worker. (laughs) And how I did that is I interviewed hundreds of moms my mom's age. So for reference, I am 54. My mom is 75. And I give that as a reference because I don't know when in the future you might be listening to this. So I interviewed that generation of moms and a very clear theme emerged as well as some abusive practices. So I sort of weeded out the abusive practices, like, for instance, letting a kid just sit in their poop to try to, you know, quote unquote, teach them a lesson or spankings for accidents. So that was a different generation of parenting in general. And so like people were heavy handed with the spankings. What emerged was its consistency and repetition. That is it. There is like no magic trick. There is no magic bullet. There's no magic method. It's literally consistency and commitment, just like anything else. And I always use this example. The first time your child starts cruising, right? They pull themselves up on the couch. They take a couple of steps. It's very exciting. And they fall on their butt. You don't run and put them back in the crib or back in a high chair and say, oh, you're not ready. You fell. That's it. No, no, no. You got to walk perfectly, right? With all of these developmental milestones, and that's what potty training is, we just hit it with repetition, consistency, and commitment. That's how children learn, right? So the amount of people who expect a kid to like, because you told them to put their pee and poop in the potty, it's a little bit ridiculous, Okay. So anyway, so I started to teach these moms in these residential facilities how to potty train their kids. And let me tell you, if I could teach dual diagnosed moms who have severe psychological issues, I can teach anybody. (laughs) So again, this was salaried position. I didn't think anything of it. It was just part of my job. In fact, I didn't even think I was going to have children. At this point, I was probably about 37. And I ended up at 38 having Pascal. So he was born in San Francisco. I moved back to Rhode Island to be closer to family. And I did some social work in Rhode Island, but I did not care for it. The laws are different. The pay was way different than California. And so I opened a secondhand kid store. And that was fun. I had a store in a very popular area near Brown University near Rhode Island School of Design. Very popular. I got to meet all the moms in the community. It was pretty cool. And the way the store was designed, the back half of the store, it was like a Alice in Wonderland kind of setup. It like narrowed. And so towards the back of the store, I put down floor mats and I would allow like classes, you know, like uh, music together or baby yoga or mom's groups and those kinds of things. So 
fast forward just a little bit and Pascal was two. So this was 2008 and he was two. I told my mom friends, you know, you have your circle of mom friends. And I was like, okay, you guys, I'm out. I got a potty train Pascal. Well, everybody freaked out. Actually, he was 22 months. He wasn't two yet. Everybody freaked out and they said, oh, you can't potty train a boy. That's so young. He's a baby. It was the first time I had really been confronted with the hot button of potty training. I was like, what? No, he's not. He's the perfect age. And what does him being a boy have to do with anything? Like, that's crazy. You know, I took some time off and he potty trained and everybody was like astounded. Oh, my God. How did you do it? How did you do it? I guess I just was insulated as far as this issue. And again, to me, it wasn't even a thing. So it started, I had my friends come over and we would do like almost like a Tupperware party, but it was a potty party and I kind of walked them through. So word got out, Rhode Island's a very small place and I would be out and about with Pascal. And again, I was kind of like a public figure in Providence, Rhode Island, because I was this hub of motherhood with a secondhand kid store that you could buy and sell clothes. So I go into like Whole Foods and people would be like, oh my God, is that, is that the baby that's potty trained? <laughs> it's like, he's not a baby. He's almost two. It, it was so strange to me, but I was like, all right, whatever. So then people started to come into my store and they were like, can you tell me the trick? Now, remember, this is way back. Like Facebook was really just kind of taking off. Twitter was brand new. So this whole idea of like sound bites was pretty new. And it was, I remember clearly because I was confused by it. I was like, you want me to tell you this whole process like over the counter at a store? That's weird. It's it's a process. Like anything else, it's a process. So people started coming into my store and I said, all right, you know what? Let me just hold a class in my store, in this like back area of my store. So I charged like $10 and it completely sold out in minutes. I was like, okay, this is weird. So then I just kept holding classes and I kept upping the fee because I was like, well, actually a therapist friend of mine was like, she came and she was like, dude, you need to charge a lot more. This information's gold. So I was like, all right, cool. But it just kept selling out, kept selling out. Then people just kept coming into the store like, oh, I missed your class. I was on vacation. I couldn't come. I couldn't get a babysitter. It was so weird. I was just giving potty training information. Like people weren't even coming in to buy and sell clothes or, you know, a little bit, but not much. (laughs) And so I said, let me write this down so that I can give it to people. So I'm not wasting all this time saying the same thing. So I wrote it down. It was like, I don't know. It was very bare bones. You guys, it was like an extra. I never thought I'd be where I am today ever, ever, ever. So I just wrote it down. It's like 160 pages, very bare bones. At the time, ebooks weren't even that popular. They were scammy. You know, there were a lot of shady things like PDFs. It was a wild time. I don't even know if you guys remember. I'm probably so much older than you. I had it as a PDF and I made my own website. I made a website. I think I forget the service. I think it was Intuit or something like that. And I didn't even know how to cut and paste. So when I tell you this was the jankiest website known to man, you know how now like there's professional websites and copywriters and all this. This was awful. Like it was just awful, but I wasn't using it as a business. I was just using it as like a thing to, you know, I was charging. I was like, let me charge the the amount I charge for the class or like $15 or something. I forget. But I didn't see it as like a sales thing. It was like literally for the people who came into my store and had missed my class. Well, once you put something online, it's now online. And it was crazy. I just, it started to sell and it was selling and selling and selling. And I was like, wow. And then I started to get emails from like special circumstance. Like I have triplets or, you know, my child has autism or I have this or, you know, certain things. And I was like, oh, this is 
okay. And I was like, now I'm online answering emails all day. I'm still not buying and selling clothes. I really become the body training lady. And then I'm starting to get emails from pediatricians. Hey, this is great. Can I have permission to print this out in my waiting room? Yeah, sure. So I'm like, this is so weird. So funny enough, out of the blue, an old friend from high school contacts me on Facebook. And I think I hadn't even joined Facebook. I mean, I think I just joined Facebook. I don't even remember. But anyway, this old friend from high school, there was a situation which he had felt way back in the day that I did him a huge solid and he owed me something. So he was like, hey, what are you doing? You know, he's just like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm in back in Rhode Island. I have a, my son. I have this store. I said, but I'm doing this thing, like this potty training thing. And it's weird because it's like, People are buying it. So he's like, oh, let me let me go see. So he goes to the website and he's like, dude, that website is so bad. And I said, I know. <laughs> so he said, let me help you. I said, great. Thank you. I need help. I said, but here's the thing. I'm, people need more help. And so I'm not really sure what to do because they're, you know, they're really individual cases. Like I couldn't do a broad stroke. You know, I couldn't just rewrite the book. It was very individualized. So he said, all right, well, he helped me change the business model. And for a while, you bought the book off my website. It was a PDF still. And it came with an online form and it was $40, but you got one-on-one help with me. So that was awesome and horrible at the same time. So first of all, if you have the audacity to charge for your time on the internet, it turns out people get very mad. So I could see all the bullshit people were talking about me, like, how dare she charge $40? But people didn't realize it came with one-on-one help. At one point, I think that lasted about a year because I got so swamped. And it was, I mean, when I say I was working with thousands of people at the same time, I was nearly in tears when we ended up like imploding that business model. My fingers were calloused. I was typing so fast. However, what was awesome is remember how I got my experience was my quote unquote training was from moms of a different generation. But what this forum really was, was almost paid research because I learned all the modern problems, both parents working outside the home, kids being overscheduled, activities for kids. So remember, my mom's 75. Back in the day, they didn't have any of that. A large percentage of moms stayed home. They had their stories on the television, which, by the way, I think we had four stations. Being a stay-at-home mom was almost more expected, right? It wasn't a a thing. Moms didn't exercise. They didn't have like an identity to preserve, but mostly kids weren't a market yet, right? We got like three movies, Sound of Music, Wizard of Oz, and Old Yeller. They played once every year. We played out in the backyard. I kid you not, just to give you perspective, my mom kicked us out of the house, locked the door so she could vacuum and sit and have a cigarette while she watched her stories. And this was not unusual. And we were middle to upper class, okay? At 4.30, she would saute onions so that it smelled like that she had been cooking all day so that my father, who got home at 5 o'clock exactly, because that's how it worked, or 5.30 because he got out at 5, came home and dinner was on the table for him. My father's chair that he sat in to have his beer had to be clear of all kids' junks. We were seen but not heard. I give you perspective because that's how much parenting has changed. So I just, you know, it's really important that you look back and say, oh, wow, okay, we've really changed in just a generation or two. 
So that made potty training way different, right? If you don't have to be anywhere and your kid preschool, nobody went to preschool. Daycares, maybe there were home daycares, but the idea of these like big daycares, it just was barely heard of. And I know there's outliers and maybe your parents might've had a different experience, but that's how it was for that generation. So anyway, working in this forum, I got to really dig into modern parenting. And so that was very, very cool. But again, I got burnt out. I was like, I can't do this. I'm crying. Like so many people needed extra help. And for $40, I was like giving hours and hours and hours of help. So I said, okay, well, as luck has it, another even more business savvy friend from high school contacted me. She was like, dude, what are you doing? You got something really great here. And I was like, I don't know. It's like a snowball going downhill. And she said, all right, well, let's see what you need to do. And she said, oh, you need to do consulting. I said, oh, okay. And she said, but what you need to do is rewrite the book with like everything you've learned in that forum. Okay, great. So I put my head down. I rewrote that book. That was awesome. And it was much more kind of what the book is like today. Now, remember, this is still a PDF from my website. So if you bought my book at that time, you were my customer. I had your email. And so when I learned something, or even if there was a typo, somebody would email me and I'd be like, oh, great. I could update the book in real time. If I was wrong about something, I could update the book in real time, or I could give a caveat. And then I could email you the update. So that was kind of awesome, right? At the time, that was an awesome business model because the book was a living document. I could just switch it. I could change it. I could do all these things. And I I think that about that time, that was about like 2010, 2011. And then I would do consulting and I would do it on, you know, just differently. That was probably like really cool time. So then what happened is I started consulting. Of course, I never intended to do this, right? I didn't know my value. I didn't know my experience. I started consulting at a very low rate. I was, again, so booked. I was crying. So I was like, this isn't working. So the friend from high school who was very business savvy was like, hey, you have to charge more. And I was like, all right. And I literally, I started charging more because at the time I was so burnt out. I just didn't want to do it. (laughs) So, but the need was there. I kept getting booked. It didn't matter. So then I was like, I need help. And so it took me years to articulate how I was helping parents. But then I I made the OCAP certification program because I just needed other people who could help and do what I do. And so I have that. And there's, you know, a lot of people have taken that certification program and they have their own potty training business. And that's how that works. They don't work like under me. They have their own little business. And so that took some of the pressure off for me. So then we had just decided to self-publish on Amazon because the book in print, a lot of people just didn't want it on their computer. They didn't want a PDF. But at that point, I had sold 40,000 copies on the PDF. Now, I don't know if you know this, but most published authors don't even sell over 20,000 copies. So we were going to put it on Amazon. They have a great service for if you want to self-publish. It's called Create Space. So we had just formatted it. It was going to be released on Amazon. And literally, I got a call from an agent, my current agent from New York. And she was like, oh, my God, your book is everywhere in New York City. So it turns out in Park Slope, Brooklyn, there's a forum that is so on point with the trends in parenting that like all the big producers for like The View, Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, like they're all in there, you know, scouring for what's hot in parenting. And apparently my book was. (laughs) And so my agent was like, you need a book deal. So we went to 
you know, put the book in front of all the five major publishing houses. And there was a bidding war because at this point in time, how I, you know, did it with the help of these business savvy people is how I did it was ideal, right? I had a huge Facebook following, like 175,000 people. I had already sold more copies than published authors. It was sort of a no-brainer. And so I ended up going with Simon & Schuster for various reasons. They had in-house video. I just, I like them. So I went with them and they bought the book in 2014 because I had kept it as a PDF in sort of this living document. There were minimal edits. It was very cool. The book was published within three months, which is, it set all kinds of records in the publishing world because it didn't need that much editing. They made some executive decisions about things that should be in and should be out. And that's how it ended up. So again, that's where I am today. Oh, and then it started to get translated. So it's been translated into 16 languages, which I think is very, very cool. (laughs) As I mentioned at the beginning of this, though, the book is written in stone. Once you go with the publishing, they own the book. It's written in stone. It cannot be changed. So the best I can do is go back and write blog posts, YouTube videos, Instagram, all these tools. So I do want to address the things that I get the most hate for. I would say the dad issue is huge. You know, hey, just to let you know, dads take part. Now, I hear this and I have some things to say about it. Number one, I am thrilled that dads are taking part. Like, I really am. That's fantastic. When the book was written, it was not true. In that forum that I was working with thousands of people, fingers bleeding, crying with overwhelm, I didn't work with one dad. And in fact, moms were complaining that dads were sort of getting in their way. They say they won't help me. They're really against this. They're sabotaging me. So I wrote the book. And if you've read Oh Crap, you know I have like a cheat sheet for dad. At the time, that was the parenting norm. So I think it's really important, and this goes for our society in general, how things are today is not how they were. And I wish I could change that, and they shouldn't have been like that, but I can't go back and change the book. And so when I get that, like, you know, dads really help. But here's the other thing, guys, about that. Not only was that not my experience at all, but listen, and I say this, I I just say this with love because I think we have to open up this conversation You don't have to be offended by everybody. Literally half my clients right now are dads. You can read the information and say, wow, this seems a little outdated. Oh, look, it was published in 2014 when I didn't even think I was going to ever be a dad. (laughs) We We can have some grace in that. Yes. And again, I think it's really important. People just don't understand that you can't, you can't change a published book. You know, there you can take information and weed out if it's a little outdated or it doesn't necessarily apply to you. And I know it can be done because, again, I have lots of dads who are like, oh, my God, we love you. And not that I have to be loved, but they're not outraged by the way the book was written. 2009, the book was written. 2014, it was published. Like even in 2014, I'd say it was somewhere around 2015, 2016, that there was a huge shift in the workplace. And I started seeing, wow, it was really crazy. Dads were getting laid off and moms were re-entering the workforce after having the kid. It was enough of a shift that I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And then moms were leaving the house and dads were staying home. And guess what I found? I found that 
it wasn't gender specific. It was the person working outside the home was the person more resistant to a process that would mean when they got home, they had to be a taskmaster instead of like, I'm home. I just want to spend time with the kids. So that started to happen. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's different than the last, you know, (laughs) few years of my experience. And then of course, there's both parents working outside the home. So that is something that I just wanted to address because when the book was written, it was a different time in parenting. I also feel like it's very vital to mention this right now. And as much as dads are taking part, and again, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. We still know, and this is well-documented, and there's many, 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 many people that address this on all the social media outlets. Moms tend to carry the mental load. They just do a greater mental load. And there's all kinds of funny things on the internet about like, you know, they'll stop a dad and, you know, hey, what's in the fridge right now? What can you make for dinner? And the dad might not know. And that's okay. I'm not judging dads, but the moms be like, oh, we have blah, 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 blah. So there is a mental load still that is on moms. Anyway, I I felt like I really needed to say that. Diversity. People I have seen, God, this book doesn't address trans. You know, it's just mom and dad. It's so gender. I don't even know the word. Again, in the forum, I literally worked with almost all heterosexual couples. I always use mom and dad. I would expect that you could extrapolate. Maybe the way I used the gender, um, gosh, I can't even think of the right words, but a gender bias or something like that is like, Okay, can we just say maybe there's a parent who works outside the home? Uh, Currently, I work with a ton, like four of my clients right now are gay couples. Not bothered at all by it. Again, we can not be offended by everything. And in fact, most couples I work with, there is a softer mom-like person, no matter what the gender, who is more nurturing. And then there is somebody who has a bit of more masculine, you know, linear thinking. And so... That's what I have found in my work. I spent some formative years. I Well, I consider I moved to San Francisco when I was 20. I have lived with drag queens, trans. I am the least transphobic person, but I just never worked with people. And at the time, I really didn't even work with one trans parent, honestly. So it wasn't in the book because it wasn't my experience at the time. Now, the other thing people get so mad about is if they've waited till their child's past three and then they read my book. And if you've read my book, you know that I am pretty upfront about get your ass in gear. If your kid's over three, you don't have time to blah, 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 blah. Then you're no whining. You got to do it now. And people will get so mad at me. And mostly they get mad at me because something was kind of afoot with their kid. Most kids don't get any sort of formal diagnosis till they're about four or five. But the parents know maybe we're looking at the autistic spectrum. Maybe we're looking at sensory things like something's just not quite right. And so parents, you know, or there's like a big delay of some sort and parents naturally just sort of back burner potty training, right? Then they pick up my book and they get super offended. In fact, recently a woman got on TikTok and like was so melodramatic and crying and like super hating on me. And she had a big following. And I was like, you know, you could have contacted me. which is so unnecessary. But anyway, here's my thing. When I wrote the book, there's a societal norm. The societal norm now is to wait till after three. It really is. And I get upset about that because that's big diapers convincing parents of keeping their product in their lives longer. Big diaper has extended the life of their product by double. So back in the day, two was the norm. 
two. In fact, I tell the story all the time. There were only cloth diapers. Disposables were brand new. They were horrible and, and expensive. And I was apparently so late in potty training that she was embarrassed to leave the house. And you could tell, right? The cloth diapers with the covers were not, they made the booty big, right? They weren't the thin pampers that we have now. So she didn't even want to leave the house. She was so embarrassed how late I was. And I was 24 months. So that's the societal norm and how much it has shifted. Now, when I wrote the book, what I ran into a lot was just laziness or parents saying, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered with this. And so the book was written kind of with that attitude, kind of attacking that attitude, like, well, you should be bothered. You should take the time to do this because it's developmentally appropriate at this time. Now, again, the societal norm has shifted, and I, I'll save that for another podcast because that societal norm is not good for kids either. It's developmentally inappropriate. But here's the thing. If you waited, I can't turn back time, you guys. I can't change the book, okay? So if you waited for whatever reason, yeah, maybe you just heard, wait till they're ready. Maybe you suspect a diagnosis. Maybe something's up with your child. Or maybe you just kind of forgot about it because everybody else is just waiting past three, right? If that has happened to you, why would you let one person who wrote one book destroy your soul about this? Why would you go crying on TikTok? I don't understand this. When I read any book, self-help, parenting, anything like that, I run it through the filter of my life, my life with my kid. I don't let any quote-unquote expert Make me think that I have somehow fucked up my life. Like, it's not cool to give anybody that power. And don't give me that power. I am an expert because I've been doing this for 13 years. I have a shit ton of experience. I have a buttload of of tips and tricks. But you are the expert of your child. I believe this to my very core. So what you do is you take my book, you use it as a guide, you go, yup, 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 nope, that doesn't work. Try to do it however you want. And then if it doesn't work, maybe come back to my book. I don't know. I don't care. But you can't let somebody wreck you like that, okay? Because there's going to be all kinds of judgment about your parenting. There's going to be all kinds of judgment about how you do things. Don't take it on from a voice in a book. You have to remember any book is written for the masses. Literally, Oh Crap Potty Training is the sum of all average kids, Again, if I were to put every outlier in that book, it would be two feet high and you would never pick it up. But more importantly, I want you to have confidence about your parenting for whatever reason. I don't care if you wait till your child is eight years old to potty train. If you as the parent have deemed that that's what your child needs, that's what's appropriate for your family, I want you to feel so confident in that. I want you to just give me an inner middle finger and move on. Or say, hey, I think I can use a lot of this information, but you know, whatever. I waited till he was four and now I got to do it. Don't be offended, okay? Now that brings us to, I don't address neurodivergent or I'm too cavalier in how I address neurodivergent. I, at the writing of the book, back even when I had still had my store, I had worked with autistic kids. Even in the early days They were all completely so different that I couldn't even begin to write broad strokes. And I keep hearing people are asking me on Instagram, can you write a book about neurodivergence? No. 
I cannot write a book about neurodivergent kids. I cannot write a book about special needs kids because they're so different. My greatest fear, my agent actually had gone to a party and it was a mom who had a special needs kid. And she was like, oh, if Jamie wants to write a book, I can line up every kind of special need that she could work with. And I was like, no, you couldn't. And if you have a special needs kid, if you have a high needs kid, if you have a neurodivergent kid, you are already a hero. You are already an angel. And now I come along and pretend to be a know-it-all about your special needs. I got the book, guys. I got the special needs book. I got the neurodivergent book. And I don't address your kids what I call flair and flavor. Yeah? Now you got another bullshit person because I'm sure if you have high needs, special needs, or neurodivergent, you have had bullshit. You've gotten bullshit from your pediatrician. You've gotten bullshit from your mother-in-law. You've gotten bullshit from other people saying you could, should just X, Y, and Z. You should just let them starve. You should just spank them. You should just this, right? And now you've got somebody who thinks they know your kid and they know that kid's special flair and flavor. That is bullshit. And I would never do that. Okay. And I have had people, there was a big thread on Instagram. People were like, well, you could have been nicer. And I was like, dude, I didn't know. And again, thousands of people in 2009 in these forums. And I just didn't, neurodivergent wasn't a thing. It really wasn't. I don't even think we had the term yet. And I don't know if, you know, if we're better at diagnosing or we've got some environmental shit going on. I suspect it's both. I think our food supply is so corrupt, you know, but There are so many more. I mean, it's like at least half the kids are neurodivergent, high needs, special needs, something like that, right? Literally working with thousands and thousands of parents for years, never heard the term. And yes, I'd work with kids who were like on the autistic spectrum. Sensory processing disorder was brand new. And I would just work with them. I would work them one-on-one and I would learn about the child. So that's why I offer consulting is so I can learn about your child, learn about their specifics. Every kid has an in for potty training. It's working, you know, with the grain of them. A lot of times parents approach potty training and they end up working against the grain of the child's personality. And so, yeah, I can give help. But again, I would never assume broad strokes on that. Okay. I super apologize. None of what I wrote was meant to be offensive. Let me take that back. The potty training over three, I did mean to be offensive because at the time I was getting offensive comments. (laughs) I was getting like, I don't care about potty training or I'm not going to do that. You know, parents would even say, I'm too lazy. I don't have time. I don't care. And I was like, oh, you got to care. It was never oh my God, you're such a horrible parent for waiting till over three because the cultural norm says wait till they're ready. So anyway, that's the history. And that is that is the things that piss people off. So I did want to document this because again, I do get DMs. I get emails a couple of times a month about how horrible a person I am. So I want to put like my defense up so that it's public. I just want to share, because if you're coming to this podcast, if you haven't read my book, There are so many resources and it's just a horrible, I am exhausted by the internet right now and everybody's really vocal opinion. And yeah, of course, if you hate it, go ahead, I guess, be loud. But when people don't literally, oh my God, okay, this happened the other day. Somebody put on their stories, picture of my book. I haven't read this, but my friend X, Y, and Z gave me the general idea. Stay tuned for a no bullshit review kid you not. And she tagged me. And I was like, you haven't read my book. You are publicly saying you haven't read my book. You're getting someone's interpretation of my book and you're going to review my book with no bullshit. That's some bullshit. (laughs) And so, 
you know, I just really want you guys to know that there's so many resources. If you go to my Instagram page and you click at the link in the bio, I have the most frequently asked questions. It is the blog post to end all blog posts. I think there's like 200 links in it, linking to all the blog posts, all my YouTube videos. I have consultations. I have courses. I really, really, really like this is not just my life's work. It's not just my living. It's my baby. I am passionate about it. I am passionate about parents getting their intuition back. I am passionate about this process. It's such a great process. Your kid gets so much autonomy watching their face when they're like, I did it. They become this big kid like right in front of you. And so I'm constantly like just trying to get information out there in all these various forms. I'm hoping this podcast is like the definitive be all to end all where I can put all the information so it's there for you guys. So anyway, I hope that clarifies some things and I hope you have an awesome day. As always, rock on. Rock on.